0: This morning, uh, we are uh, going to continue in uh, John chapter 3. We're going to cover verses 14 through 21. So John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'll go ahead and read these verses for us. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time Again, Father, we ask that uh, the Holy Spirit be here with us. Father, as we open Your Word, we uh, pray that it will illumine our hearts and our minds. And we pray that You will uh, use Your Word to change us today and make us more like Your Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at Jesus and Nicodemus, this encounter, and uh, we talked about uh, what Jesus told him, remember, uh, Jesus knew exactly what was in his heart, and so Jesus told him that he must be born again in order to see the kingdom. And then Jesus rebuked him for not understanding these things, because he was a teacher. He should have known. That was his point. He was a teacher of uh, of the Jews, and he should have understood this, and he did not. But Jesus he did rebuke him, but Jesus also had compassion on him. And Jesus here in these verses takes time uh, to teach. Uh, we've noticed as we studied, uh, studied Jesus' life, He always takes time to teach. He's patient with people. He takes time to teach. And that's a lesson for all of us. As we're, um, especially with young people, raising a family, um, as uh, we're often tempted to be in a hurry. And just, you know, especially with children, uh, they don't understand all the things you understand. Their knowledge is limited. And it's so tempting just to get impatient and frustrated. And just, you don't understand it, and you just keep going. And you just, well, I'll do it myself. You know how these things do with, with parents. But but Jesus always took time to teach, and we need to remember that. Always taking time uh, to teach. Well, in, G- in today's passage, Jesus points back uh, to the Old Testament. In uh, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, as, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, Jesus uh, is referring to an event that is recorded for us back in Numbers, Numbers chapter Twenty-one. Let me read uh, a few verses for you there. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water And our soul loathes this worthless bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And many of the people died. Now we know the setting here. um, God has brought uh, His people out of slavery. And they are uh, on the way to the promised land. And this is the situation. This is what happens. Uh, We know He had rescued them uh, from... Slavery in Egypt, and he's providing all of their needs. He's taken this whole mass of people, this whole nation of people, and he's moving them along, and he's providing everything. He's given them manna from heaven, supernaturally. It's 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 there. They have to do no work for it. Really, uh, it's provided for them. Yes, they have to gather it, but but it's provided for them. And as the journey continues, they begin to complain. What about? The manna, this supernatural event that Jesus is this provision that he's that he's making for them, yet they start complaining. And Dr. Sproul commented here, he says, This was nothing short of a rebellion. Nothing short of a rebellion. And we see here how God responded to that. He sends another plague, doesn't he? But this time it's not a plague on the Egyptians. It's now a plague even on his own people, his own special people, his chosen people. And he sends this plague of poisonous snakes that infest uh, the camp. Uh, their venom uh, was described as being like fire. And so it says that they bit many people and many people died. Now, I hate snakes. I, you know, I just do. I don't know about y'all. I mean... If there are some people in the crowd who really know, because there's some snakes we don't have to be afraid of, right? I get it. And around the farm, there's some when you find a nice big black snake or a king snake, I try to relocate him. I try to move him away, you know, uh, gently, uh, but but I don't really like them. You know, they're quiet and they are usually in uh, the place where you least expect them and they surprise you, right? Um, I don't like snakes. Uh, but I can only imagine this taking place. Um, I, I I don't know. I just it's hard to imagine. I guess again, I can only imagine this horror, this horror of a judgment. Okay, this is God's judgment on His people for what? For complaining, complaining against God. You got to think about that, right? God's sending complaining against God. How many times in this last week have you complained? to God, or complained against God? Maybe you didn't voice it, you know, maybe with your mouth, but how many times were you not content with where God has you? And you think you need need more. Um, You need something else to make you happy. Um, How many times have we complained? In our heart, anyway. Probably more than we want to admit, right? Well, this judgment that God sends achieves exactly what He intended it to do. The effect, okay? What is the effect? The people repented. Okay? That's the effect, right? Uh, God sent this so the people would repent. They did. And what does God do? He offers a solution. He offers a way out. Uh, Numbers chapter 21 verses 7 and 9 says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived." Now, we are not told exactly how many people died. It just says many. Uh, We also are not told how many people died, even given the fact there was a remedy. Okay, we're not sure exactly what happened. The remedy was provided, and it still says some people died. Uh, So we are left uh, to deduce, based on what we see in Scripture, that even though the solution, a way of salvation, a way to be saved, was provided, some still did not look to it for the answer. Some were bitten and were in terrible pain, yet they did not trust God's answer. Even though the cure rate was, guess what, 100%. Everyone who looked would live. We learn uh, later in 2 Kings 18 that uh, King Hezekiah had to destroy the serpent. This, this serpent had been preserved. The people kept this after this plague was over. It had been preserved for several hundred years. But what do God's people like to do? They like to take things, good things from the Lord and they like to turn them into idols. And that's what the people had done. And so King Hezekiah had to destroy it. Uh just while we're talking about this particular event, um, has anybody, uh, does anybody see the connection? Uh, everybody knows, I'm going to show you this. Everybody knows what this is, right? What do you see that? Do you see that on the side of every ambulance that you see? It's the Star of Life, right? EMS. What do you see inside the Star of Life? You see a pole and a serpent on a pole. Look to that and be saved. Amazing. I wonder how many uh, EMS workers know that that's what that means and that's where that came from. The serpent on the pole. Salvation. They're coming to help. We're coming to save you. Look and be saved. Just a little of aside. I thought I'd throw that in here for y'all a little bit of, so you'd understand that. Come, a little bit of look into our world in public safety. But anyway. So why did Jesus use this comparison? Well, Jesus says in verse 14 that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, as we look closer at this, this this expression that Jesus used, lifted up, must be lifted up, can actually have two meanings. Uh, The expression uh, lifted up usually means... To be exalted. That's usually what it would mean. For example, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Remember when he had the vision of God in heaven. And he said, what did he say? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. Right? That's what he said. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Exalted. That's what he said, right? That's, that's, that was the meaning of that. We have that over in Isaiah 6.1. But is that the meaning that Jesus intended here? Well here, uh, Jesus was speaking, uh, more directly to what had to happen, uh, to Him, uh, for people in order to, for, in order for people to enter His kingdom. And we know that, uh, that what He's referring to is the fact that He must be lifted up, not necessarily exalted, although He will be, but He must be what? Lifted up on a cross. He must become uh, the substitute serpent, if, uh, if you will. He would, uh, he would up on the cross, then He would Himself take on that sting of death and that poison of sin He would take upon Himself as He was lifted up. It's like the serpent was lifted up on, on the rod, on the staff. Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. Yes, uh, Jesus would be exalted. Amen. We can can rejoice in that. Uh, But here, in this uh, comparison, Jesus is referring primarily to His crucifixion. Now, Jesus goes on and says that He would be lifted up so that what? So that whoever believes in the Son of Man should have eternal life. That's in verse 15. And again, this... Statement by Jesus is he's still drawing on that Old Testament um, situation, that comparison with the Old Testament. Um, so he's he's still paralleling uh, the situation now with the Israelites in the wilderness with the serpent, uh, the people uh, as we see who were complaining, but they were provided away. The people who were bitten were going to die, but God had to act, and God did. After they repented, He provided. Uh, the remedy. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that all people are in that state. They are going to die. And that apart from Christ and the cross and the cross, then everybody will die. And so Jesus being lifted up on the cross is this way of salvation, this remedy. And we know he's the only cure for sin and death. Just like what the Israelites if they were bitten, they were going to die. But if they looked to the serpent on the cross, they would live in like manner and in the very same way, uh, Christ being the way of salvation, He would be the only cure for sin and death. Now this is uh, this reference to eternal life. This is the first of ten references uh, to the term or the phrase eternal life that we find in John's Gospel. We see eternal life used and we see everlasting life. Those are synonyms. They mean the same thing, okay? There are two terms that they mean basically the same thing and they appear almost 50 times in the New Testament. Now, eternal life certainly does refer to uh, eternity, right? Eternity in heaven. It, it definitely does. But it also d- refers to a divine quality of life here and now. This life, uh, again, eternal life for those who know Him. We know what that means. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus. But it also means for that for believers, uh, believers in the Lord Jesus, we can experience uh, a piece of heaven here. We can experience eternal life here and now. Now, not in the fullest measure, obviously. We're not in heaven. You know, it, it's not. We're not with Jesus yet. But we are with Jesus in a very real way and He's with us. And we can experience uh, a portion of that eternal life here. That divine quality of life. I think that was how uh, MacArthur put it in his study Bible. A divine quality of life. Have you ever thought of, considered that? About a, your quality of life? Well, if you don't know Jesus, your quality of life is pretty poor. Right? It's de- in fact, it's deadly. But if you know Jesus, you have a divine quality of life. Because you know that no matter what happens here, you're going to spend eternity with Him. And now we get to probably is uh, the most well-known verse in all of the New Testament, maybe even in the entire Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now Dr. Sproul here in his commentary says that he, along with uh, some others, he didn't name them, actually don't think Jesus said this. Now if you have a red letter Bible, um, mine's in red letters, right? Right? and uh, a lot of, it, it's written that way. It, it's translated this way, that these are Jesus's actually words. But Dr. Sproul commented, it's very difficult when you look at the original text here, it's very difficult to determine where, because John's writing this, it's, it's very difficult to determine where Jesus' words stop and John's words start. Okay, so it's, it's difficult to uh, determine that. Um, the, the good news is right. This, there is. Don't let that scare you. Right? <laughs> that's. Oh man, it's not true. He didn't say it. You know. No, no that's not the response. Right? Uh, it, it's, it, either, it's. in the Word of God. Okay. If if Jesus Himself actually didn't say it, if John wrote it, then John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's given to us, and it is still true. Right? It is still. Absolutely uh, true. So don't get um, don't get too worried when you hear that. Okay. okay so yes, ma'am. Like, that's like commentary on what Jesus. Said. Right. That's, what we said. that's right. That's, that's basically it's John's words, not necessarily. And That's what. Now not everybody believes that. Okay. Not ever. But 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 uh, Dr. Sproul said he and some others. Uh, I think I read. Um, I don't think in Calvin's commentary he did not have that interpretation. I think he took it as this being Jesus's words, but regardless they are inspired by the Holy spirit and they are completely true right well besides being the most well-known verse it's also one of the most distorted verses why well because people love uh, to look at this verse and apply an apparent universality of this verse okay and and they but they at the same time they hate the undeniable particularity of this. What do, we, what do we mean? Well, the verse begins by saying that God so loved the world. And RC offered his own words. He says, "Let me." He says, "This is the only way he can do it, right? Let me finish it the way people read it, right? They have the verse, but let me say it like people hear it, right? And they want to repeat it and what the idea they have in their mind." He says this way. He says, "He says the God so loved the world. God so. I'm sorry, back up. Let me finish it the way people would read it." This is His his words. God so loved the world that He gave His Son in order to save everyone in the world. That's, I've heard a lot of people interpret this this way, right? Uh, people would take, uh, if, if they read it that way and they read into this verse, uh, they come up with this idea of universal salvation, right? What does that mean? Everyone goes to heaven. Right? That's what that means. Everyone goes. Well, God loved the whole world. He loved everybody in the world. And everybody goes to heaven. But clearly, that is not what this verse is saying, is it? It's not what this verse is saying. Now, on, uh, on the other hand, uh, the, the Armenian view would see this verse as saying that God loved the world enough to provide salvation for everyone. That's what they would say, Right? God's salvation is for everybody. It's up to you to choose it or to deny it. But that verse doesn't say that either. That's not what it says. So what does John 3.16 say? What it's saying is that God's love is so deep and it is so profound that He sent His only begotten Son. What is, what does the verse not say? The verse does not say that God loved the world so much that He sent many saviors. Right? Oh, there's how many times have you heard that? Oh, there's many paths to God. Right? Uh, and just you can think of a few. They all claim. Who, who are the, some of the others that claim to have salvation? Who are the other names? Who, who can name some of them? You know them. These other names that are other saviors that are out there that people look to. Muhammad, Muhammad that's one. Yep. Who's another one? Buddha. Somebody said Buddha. Yep. Right. That's so. There are people who. Lots of too. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's all these other things, right? And then there's a lot of people who say, "Hey, all those are a way to God, right?" But that's this verse is not saying that. Our culture loves that—the idea that God loves the world so much that He's provided many ways uh, to Him. But uh, and and they would, our culture would say that we shouldn't be so narrow-minded as to believe there's only one way. What do you mean? There's only one way? How can that be? Really? There's only one way to God? Well. The fact is he did love the world and he loves and he loves the world, he still does, and loves the world enough to send his one and his only son. Now uh, Dr. Sproul went at great lengths to take us down a path here. I'm gonna do the best I can to kind of summarize it. So he says this. He says, So this given this culture, what our culture says, okay, about how can you? What do you mean? One way? No, there's many ways. How 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 can this be? He says. So suppose you know there actually is a God, and this God created everything out of nothing. Right? He created the birds, and he created the animals. He even created people, living human beings. And then he took these people and he put them in an amazing garden where they had everything provided for them. They lived, they walked with God in the cool of the day, right? Can you imagine how wonderful that must have been to walk with God in the garden? Not hindered by anything. Just you and God in communion. Well, He put them in that wonderful place and He gave them one rule, right? One rule. And 15 minutes after He gives the rule, they break it. And then God says, I'm kicking you out of the garden because you broke the one rule. And everyone's going to die because of you. But I will provide a way to escape judgment. And then God comes along and He finds this guy named Abraham. And He calls Abraham out of a paganistic life, right? He was a pagan. And He calls Abraham out of that. And He says, "What? I will make you a great nation. And I'm going to make that great nation. And that great nation is going to bless the entire world. And then that nation does what? Turns to God. Turns against God. How many times? Over and over and over and over. Then suppose this same God who did all these things, He sends prophets. He sends men who were inspired and given His direct words to warn the people to come back to God, to repent, to come back to God. And then what do those people do? They kill the prophets. They stone the prophets. And then suppose that that same God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my very own son to you. Prophets weren't enough. I'm going to send my own son. And then what do the people do? They kill him. And at the same time, suppose that same God who loves His people so much that while His Son is on the cross, He will take the sins of all His people and put them on His Son. So that His people will not have to pay the penalty of their own sins. And then He tells them, if you turn to My Son, if you look to Him, if you believe in Him, you will never die. Now, if... If God, if He did all of those things, would you still turn to Him and say, you haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. To the one, to the person who gets angry about there only being one way, well the real question is why is there any way at all why is there any way at all the love the, the he God loved the world enough to create a way and he created one way he didn't he didn't love the world enough to say that we can ignore the one way He didn't love them that much. Again, our culture would say that God provided only one way. Well, He doesn't really love the world. Well, for those people, uh, the reality is they really don't understand who God is and they really don't know who they are. They really don't understand the depths of their own sin. Jesus goes on in uh, verses 17 and the first half of 18. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Now here, I I don't think, uh, and Dr. Sproul says, I don't think that Jesus could have been any more clear. Why did Jesus come into the world? He came in the world to save people. He came in the world to save His people. The, um, the atonement that Christ made on the cross, yes, we believe in the Reformed faith that it is particular. It is definite. Uh, it is the atonement, uh, the salvation that was made uh, was for God's people alone, the elect. The atonement of Christ, was it sufficient for the whole world? Could it have saved every person in the world? Guess what? Absolutely yes. The atonement of Christ was sufficient to save the whole world. But, because God is sovereign in election, He is sovereign over salvation, He has made atonement for the elect only. And, Again, Jesus came in the world to save the elect, to save His people, His chosen people. The Israelites, okay, that were bitten by the snake, He provided a way. He provided a way. Just look up at the bronze serpent. Look at, the fo- look at it and you'll be saved. That's all you got to do. Just look at it. Be saved. What's the message here? Look to Christ and be saved. That's the answer. Look to Christ and be saved. And then the second half of verse 18 presents the other side, the awful alternative. The second half of verse 18, it says, But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who look to Christ for salvation will be saved. It's absolutely sure. But those who refuse are condemned already. They are, as we would call them, dead men walking. You know, and we wonder why men refuse to submit. I wonder why the Israelites, this account in Numbers, where again we're left to deduce that even after God divided the way, some still wouldn't look and be saved. Why is that? It's a hard heart, isn't it? It's a very hard heart. Well, John answers this question here. I wonder why so many people refuse to submit? Well, John answers this in verses 19 through 21. He says, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. we have this comparison again of the light and the dark, right? The light has come into the world and the world has not understood it, right? The darkness, well, the bad news is uh, for us that the darkness is our natural state. (coughs) That is where we come from. And so, for us, in our natural state, state of darkness, nothing terrifies you more Than the appearance of light. Why? Because it says the light shines and does what? It shines in the darkness, but people love the darkness. Why do they love the darkness? Because their deeds are evil. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. I don't want people to know what I've been doing. I don't want them to know my heart. I don't know the evil the evil thoughts that I think. I don't want them to know that. And when the light shines, it's all exposed. I can't hide anymore. I can't hide in the darkness. Well, again, that is our nature. We, by nature, are children of darkness. And so for us, the light represents what? Exposure and humiliation. And so I want to run from it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with with the light. Uh, I'm sure some of you have heard. Uh, it's been, I know it's been mentioned many times about this. Uh, I don't think it was a. He didn't really say. I don't know if it was a true story or not, but it's a good illustration. You heard about the man who who sent the letter. Uh, sent a letter to 25 people, 25 other men in his hometown, and the letter. All the letter was. This, all the letter said was this: All has been exposed. Flee at once. That's all the letter said. Right? No names. No the details. No nothing. Right? No timeline. No nothing. All that's been exposed, flee at once. But what happened? All of them left town. The next day, they're gone. How, you know? It, again, I don't know if that's a true story or not. I, I, it's a great illustration. Uh, if it's a true story, I think that would make it even better. If that was a true story, right? <laughs> well, you know, you know it. It is. You know, there is some humor there. But how would you respond? How would you respond if you got a letter like that? How how many times, you know, um, because we've all, you know, we've had jobs, we've been in places at work, and and you get an email or you get a note, hey, the boss got to see you in his office. You're like, oh, God. You know, know, what's the first reaction? What do I do now? or, oh my goodness, he found out, or she found out, or something, right? If you've got a guilty conscience, that's the first thing you think about, right? Oh, he knows I laid out of work yesterday and didn't take time off. I don't know. Philip He knows that I've been goofing off and I should have been working, or something. I don't know, right? That's, that's, what it, that's where your mind works, right? Because we do stuff like that, unfortunately. And uh, the reality, uh, and and Jay, don't you be getting any ideas, okay, about that? <laughs> uh, I use what, what these. I usually, I, I know what that's like, you know, when I, when because I, I've been in the, that position when when your supervisor or boss or something, and, and they say that kind of thing, and you start thinking. And, I, and so when I do that, sometimes as I I'm very quick to say everything's okay. I just you know just relax. I just I need to see. I try to disarm them for a little bit. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just mess with them. Right? It's fun sometimes, right? Uh, (laughs) um, But anyway, uh, the the reality for us as believers, and we are people who have been redeemed, the reality is we still struggle with hiding in the dark. All of us still struggle with hiding in the darkness rather than basking in the light. Remember that divine, eternal life, that divine quality of life? Well, that's going to be a challenge for us until the day we see Jesus and we are made like Him. God says, uh, through He's saying through John, this is my condemnation. I sent the light. I have sent Him. He's there. But you didn't want the light. But now, the good news is that all who are of the light, they will come to the light and will not perish, but have that eternal life. And that's the basic gospel message that Jesus is giving to Nicodemus. That is the basic gospel message that right here, and this interaction That Jesus has given to Nicodemus. Where? Under the cover of darkness. Right? Remember that. It came to him at night. Well may the Lord bless. uh, What's been said here. uh, Today. And I pray that he will. Change us. Any questions. Or comments. Before we. Close with prayer. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for our time uh, together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, it is living and breathing and active. Father, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce joints and marrow, bones and marrow. And Father, we ask that You use Your Word to do that in our lives. Father, we ask that You change us for the sake of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.